Hey everyone, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. If you wish to know more about us, please visit our website at newmarketalliance.ca. As the COVID pandemic comes to an end, we encourage you to come check us out in person if you can. No matter how good a podcast is, being in the company of people and experiencing the community of our church is much better. At NAC, we meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You can expect free coffee, tea, snacks, a warm smile, and a friendly face. And with that, let's go ahead and listen to this week's sermon. I want to tell you about a guy named Elijah. Uh, But first, let me give you a little context of that time period. When Elijah was alive, that part of Israel called the Northern Kingdom um, had experienced 19, the Bible says, uh, consecutive evil kings spanning about a 200-year time period. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. 19 evil kings. Uh, now, you, you may be fans or not be fans of Trudeau or Harper, of Ford or Wynne, of Trump or Biden. Uh, you may have called them foolish or ineffective or maybe even evil. But imagine 19 consecutive evil leaders. That's all you would have known. That's all your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents would have known, just living under an evil regime. No, no living memory of what it's like to have a, a, a good king, a government who is for you and helpful and uh, functional. And so <clears throat> this was the time in which Elijah lived. In fact, uh, at, at his time, there was a very evil king named Ahab who was married to a wicked woman named Jezebel. Some say maybe the most wicked woman who ever lived. And under their reign, the Bible says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of God than anyone before him. Um, uh, he would turn people's hearts away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have them worship false gods, gods of Baal, um, who would often require them to sacrifice their children to these false gods. They would, they would go into the temples and engage in sexual acts and call it worship and do other things that are just too gross to get into. And Scripture says under Ahab's reign, he was more evil than anyone before him. And so this is a really dark time. And God finally says, enough is enough. Interestingly, though, uh, God didn't raise an army to take a stand against an evil king. Instead, God does what God often does, and that is he, he raised up one person to take a stand, one man. And I would argue that in today's world, God may want to do something really similar where you live. God may want to raise up a teenage girl to take a stand in her school. God may want to raise up a young business leader to stand for integrity in a business that's lacking it. Uh, God may want to raise up someone to go into politics, to take a stand for what they know is true. God often raises up a person, an unqualified person to make a big Difference. So let's start with this. What does the name Elijah mean? Uh, it comes from the root word El, stands for Elohim or God. 
I, of course, is the, is the personal pronoun for, for my or mine. And then Jah, J-A-H, um, Jehovah. And so you put it all together. It literally means uh, my God is Jehovah or, or the Lord is my God. And immediately, when God raises up this prophet to stand up for evil, by his very name, he's making this testimony that the, the Lord God is the one true God. Uh, so let's pick up the story. It's the first time we see Elijah in all of scripture. If, if you have your Bible, it's in 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse one. If you don't have it, we'll put it up for you. But at the very beginning of the story, we don't have hardly any background on this guy. Uh, we simply know his name and where he's from. It'd be like Jonathan from Newmarket. That's how he's identified. Here's what it says, verse one. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, and you can see, you know, he's going straight towards the false gods. He says, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, if this was a movie, uh, this is where the music would go, dun, 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 right? And the camera would do like a fast zoom, um, you know, on King Ahab. He'd sort of turn his head around and give one, I can do this one eyebrow trick, right? And, and the camera would zoom on Elijah and he'd be, you know. In fact, let's just try that for folks at home. Uh, so you, you folks go dun, 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 and see if the camera can do like a quick zoom on me, all right? Okay. Uh, one, two, three. Oh yeah, that looks good. I see it. Um, and uh, and he, so he says, "There's going to be no rain for the fu- foreseeable future. No moisture until I say stop." Now, to put this in context, we are in the midst of a global pandemic that has had major economic repercussions, right? I don't think we've actually totally reckoned yet with the, the full impact of that. But to be clear, no rain in this part of the world would not have been an economic slowdown. This would have been a economic shutdown, okay? We're talking about an agriculturally driven economy. No rain, um, that shuts down the world. Uh, in our world, it would be like, you can't get gas at the gas station. The banks are not lending money. Uh, they're not even letting you get your own money out from your account. You wouldn't have electricity at your home. Life as you know it would sort of be on hold. Unemployment you know, would reach 60, 70, 80%. People are, are gonna be dying because of this. And so this man of God stands down this evil king and says, no more rain. Tremendous courage to do that. And and just as he said, God dried up this area. So in my mind, this is where I'm thinking, you know, fighter, are you ready? Fighter, are you ready? Let's get it on. But instead, God does something different. He takes Elijah into a time of, of solitude, of, of hiding, of isolation. He takes him into a time of cabin fever, actually, of being a fugitive, And uh, God goes and takes Elijah away, I believe, so he can cultivate something in Elijah. Uh, Why? I think because there's so much more 
God wants to do through him. And, and we're going to watch as God shapes this man in a very deep season of, of preparation, a season of cabin fever. It's as though God is saying, there's so much more I want to do in you because there's so much more I want to do through you. Could it be that God is saying to us, to you, in COVID, through perhaps maybe you're going through another season of, of grieving and loss, there, there seems to be these seasons of preparation in this story. And the first one, God is taking him through a time of isolation where he's alone. He's got no one else to call to. And so verse one, he says, no more rain. Then verse two, immediately after that, the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of Jordan. Now, names mean something in the Bible, right? Um, the word Hebrew, the, word, uh, the Hebrew word kareth, it means cut off, uh, cut down, uh, to be cut off from the source, to be really cut off from blessing. And, and you, could, you could almost sense what God is saying here. I'm going to, I'm gonna take you through something here. It's gonna, it's gonna be good, um, but it's not gonna feel good. It's, it's, it's gonna humble you. I'm going to teach you to be totally dependent on me. I'm going to humble you privately before I use you publicly. There's been a lot of talk lately about megachurch pastors. We've learned some pastors who, um, you know, their talent couldn't keep up with their character. And so some of you this morning are in or about to go through or have been through your own careth ravine, a season of pain, uh, and you're asking, uh, where is God? And the reality is, uh, God is oftentimes right there doing a deep work in you. He says, I'm teaching you something that you couldn't learn any other way. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this work in you so I can do more through you. Sometimes I want to warn, you know, Michelle Quatch. I want to warn Glenn. I want to warn new uh, young elders coming on board. I want to I wanna warn Denise becoming a, a chaplain. Warn Hunter and Danita and Derek and Peter and other young leaders, you know, that when you put yourselves out there in ministry and in leadership and in influence, you may just have to go through a careth ravine. There may be some seasons of kind of chipping and cutting and humbling and breaking. And uh, it's almost like, are you, are you sure you wanna, you wanna do this? And for some, it'll actually make them bitter and cynical and hardened and ultimately cause them to quit their calling and maybe even give up on their faith. When if they had just trusted God was taking them through something, not to make them bitter, but actually to make them better. So Jesus, even in the gospels, he says in, in Luke, he calls it sifting. 
He says, um, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Some of, some of you, you're there. You're in the Kareth ravine. It feels like you're, you're being sifted like wheat, separated from Jesus even. And you don't understand why. Elijah was there for months, all alone, nobody to talk to. A.W. Tozer, I like what he said. He said this, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly, bless a woman greatly until he's hurt them deeply. That's a tough word. So those of you who are in Kareth Ravine, I just want to say to you, be encouraged. The more that God breaks you, um, often it means the more that God is preparing you. Sometimes, sometimes that preparation comes through isolation. Um, I feel like Elijah himself could have written this next song. Listen to these lyrics. As I, as I walk now through the valley, let your love rise above every fear. Like the sun shaping the shadow, in my weakness, your glory appears. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing together. as you're seated we see that the, the second thing that God is, is taking Elijah through to be the, the person he's called him to be is a, is a total uh, season of complete dependence where Elijah he just can't depend on anything except God and God alone. Let's read what it says in verse four, five, and six. This is what God says. Elijah, you will drink from the brook that I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him food, sorry, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Uh, first thing you'll notice to all the vegetarians out there, God brought him meat, it's in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> that's the most excited Glenn's got um, in church. No, God, look, God loves vegetarians, and I love animals. It's just, um, I mean, heck, God, God made uh, cows to taste like steak. What are you going to do, right? So God does this crazy Dr. Doolittle type miracle, and first of all, in the middle of the drought, there's a brook, and he gets to drink from this brook. And then we get these birds that go out and find bread and meat. And every morning and every evening, they deliver it straight to the prophet. And like, what is God doing here? I think God is very deliberately and clearly saying in a, in a dramatic way, a way that could only be credited to God himself, that no matter what, I will be faithful. Uh, you can count on me to provide for you, Elijah. I wonder how many of us are in a place 
where there was something you used to trust in for your security and it's been taken away and you don't have anything else to trust in. But, but the giver of life and the giver of good gifts. And you're having to learn that when everything else um, that you used to believe in fades away, God will forever be faithful. There, there, there's, a, there's a single mom right now where institutions seem to have failed her and her family. The courts and justice system have, well, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, they've been anything but just. And uh, from an objective sense, it seems like fairness and rightness has failed her. And yet, and yet, she continues to put her hope in God. She continues to teach her kids that God is good. It's quite remarkable, actually. I pray uh, that she, that her story uh, will, will have an even sweeter redemption because of the Kareth ravine that she had to go through. Forever and always, God says, I will be your provider. When you can't depend on what you used to depend on, I will deliver what you need. Here's the cool thing about it. God didn't give him, you know, two weeks worth of food. Uh, God didn't give him like a three-month supply. What, what did God give him? Yeah, enough for today. It's a lesson that he had to teach four million Israelites in the desert with, with manna and pheasants. It's a lesson from the 23rd Psalm. It's a, it's a lesson he has to keep teaching me again and again. He will supply my daily bread. He didn't say anything about, you know, storing up my treasures in bigger barns. He didn't promise that. Uh, he didn't promise, you know, the max contribution to my RSP. But he will deliver enough for today. And some of you right now, you're anxious and you're afraid but God says, I will be your comfort for today. Uh, some of you don't have much, but God is saying, I will be your provision for today. Some of you are feeling weak, but God says, I will be your strength for today. Your, your depression feels crippling, and God says, I will be your joy for today. I may, not, I, not bring, I may not bring more than you need, but I will bring exactly what you need. I will be your daily bread. And Elijah learns to depend on God for today. God is teaching him. He's breaking him. He's humbling him. He's teaching him total dependence. When he was uh, having no ability to provide for himself, God is teaching him, I will always be your provider. Will you stand with me? Jesus himself teaches that. Why are we worrying? Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Don't I take care of them? Let's sing together. The sparrows now worried about tomorrow or the troubles to come. The lily's not thinking about the seasons, the drought or the flood. A tree that's planted by the water isn't faced by the fire.
So why should I be? Please be seated. Now here's the third thing that God is uh, doing in Elijah. He's taking him through a season, I think, of unconditional obedience. So there's isolation, there's this total dependence, and now there's this season of just unconditional obedience. Verse seven, eight, and nine, the story starts to break down. What is God doing? What, he told me to do this, and now it's all changing. What's going on, God? So verse seven, the Bible says, sometimes later, sometime later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Now, just put yourself in the prophet's place for a second. It's been months that he's been by this ravine and it's been feeding him daily water. God told him to go there and then, and then the brook dries up and God says, move on. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, God, where, like, where are you? What's the purpose uh, of being here? You, you gave me water from the brook and now the water dries up and the ravens aren't gonna come anymore. Did I do something wrong? You're telling me to go on. Did, did I miss something the first time? Am I hearing you right? I don't, I don't quite understand. Why would the source of what used to feed me dry up? And he's gonna learn that the same God who gives water can take it away because God just, God just might allow the brook to dry up to give us the courage to leave where we are and go where we're supposed to. Some of you right now, you, you may be like, it feels like my brook is drying up. I used to be able to trust in this job, but I'm not sure I can trust in this job anymore. I used to have a nest egg and I don't have a nest egg anymore. I used to be able to trust in all these good friends and then boom, they, they turned on me and my friendship brook is drying up. I used to believe that I had a good marriage that would last forever, but it seems like the brook that is my marriage is drying up. I used to feel really close to God and it's like my spiritual brook is drying up and it won't always make sense in the moment. It might feel like punishment, but God might be on the verge of doing something even greater in you and through you. I think the millennials are down with the Cobra Kai. Yeah? Cobra Kai? No? Karate Kid? Yes? Oh, man, am I feeling super old right now. And look, I'm not talking about the Jaden Smith abomination, okay? I'm talking 1984, uh, Ralph Macchio, uh, Mr. Miyagi, who I knew from Happy Days as Al, and... And Daniel, uh, uh, Daniel's the, the karate kid, and he goes to Mr. Miyagi, he's like, teach me, to, teach me to fight. And Mr. Miyagi's like, okay, first paint the fence. It's like, all right. No, Daniel's son, like this, right? This is coming back to you? Daniel's like, uh, okay, now what? Well, now wax my car. It's like, fine. No, Daniel's son, like this, wax on, wax off, right? And then it's like sand the deck. And I was like, really, do I have to do it? And finally, he's, he's had it. And he's like, what is this? I thought you were going to teach me to de- defend myself. And Mr. Miyagi throws a punch. And like intuitively, Daniel's like, whoosh, wax on. He throws, a, he throws like a, another punch, whoosh, paint the fence. 
you know? He's, he didn't realize what was happening, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I know Kung Fu. Okay, that's the Matrix. I'm mixing up my metaphors here, but it all comes together. It's one of those eureka moments. Oh, I see what you were telling me. I get it now. So when God says to the prophet Elijah, go to the Kareth Ravine, there's got to be a little bit of, are you sure, Lord? And then comes the heavenly catering, you know, dropping chunks of food. I'm going to assume, by the way, that their beaks were like supernaturally purelled because I, you know, I let my dog lick my face, but I'm not sure I'm eating uh, my lunch out of a raven's mouth. Anyways, that's beside the point. Uh, I've never been that desperate for food either. But then what's this? The brook is dried up. God is getting him to go to a new place an unknown place, maybe a scary place. Listen, the Kareth Ravine isn't great, right? It's the place of cutting off. But it, it was at least the place he knew. It had become home. How many of you know someone who's in a bad place, a bad job, a bad relationship, a bad state of mind? Someone's stuck and they can't move on and they won't move. I may be in the Kareth Ravine, but it's my Kareth Ravine, Right? It's familiar. It beats doing something unknown, something uncharted, something maybe courageous and risky. Well, God causes Elijah to go to a new place, and we don't have time to read it all today, so I'll just hit the high points. You, you really should read it, 1 Kings 17. He travels maybe 100 miles or so uh, across a barren, drought-infested land, and he comes to see a widow and, and God says, uh, she is going to provide for him. And so he humbles himself and he says, Madam, <clears throat> I'm really thirsty. Could you maybe uh, give me a drink and a little snack because I'm hungry? And the widow looks at him and goes, oh, I'm sorry. You must be the only person who doesn't know that there's a famine going on and we're all a little hungry and thirsty. It hasn't rained we're dying. I'm a widow. My son's back at the hut. I came out here just to get some sticks to build a fire. I'm literally going to make our last meal with the little bit of flour and oil that I have. And that's all we've got left. We're going to eat one last time and then we're going to die. And because of what God is doing in Elijah's life, he has the boldness to say, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. And he looks at an impossible situation, speaks faith into it. And he says, that flour that you have in your jar, it ain't going to run out. That oil that you have, it's not going to run dry. I want you to go back and bake me some biscuits. And Elijah must have been <laughs> convincing because she does. And they ate biscuits and the flour didn't run dry and the oil didn't run dry. And that's where we get the hymn, praise God from whom all biscuits flow, right? <laughs> oh, come on, dad jokes. <laughs> and they ate, and they ate for weeks and months. God, again, supernaturally provides for Elijah in, in his state of unconditional obedience. And then one day, tragedy struck, and the sun dies mysteriously, not because of the starvation, but something else. And mama freaked out, as you would expect. And, and is like, is this God's judgment on me? Elijah, did you 
come here so that this would happen. And Elijah, because of all that he had gone through, because of all that God had been shaping him in, did something that to our knowledge had never happened before in history, wasn't recorded again in the Bible. He takes this dead boy, uh, takes him up to his room, prays for God, um, prays to God, and proceeds to stretch himself out on top of the boy. Uh, Now, if I had done that, uh, if the boy wasn't dead before, um, he would have been steamrolled after I got a hold of him. But instead, God raises this boy to life. Why did that happen? Could it be that because God took Elijah to the Kareth Ravine, where he was cut down, where he had to learn total dependence, where he couldn't depend on anything at all but God and God alone. Then the brook is dried up and he has to go uh, to a new place where God ultimately called him to. So once again, he has the faith to perform a miracle and bring this dead boy back to life. God used these seemingly bad events to shape Elijah into the kind of person that he wanted him to be. And it prepared him, especially for what would happen next in chapter 18, a story that Glenn preached on some time ago, where Elijah, who's now experienced the miracle working dependence on God, is ready for a stare down, one man against 450 false prophets. And he asked God to send fire from heaven Why could Elijah have that kind of faith? Maybe it's because he had been through the Kareth Ravine. Some of you right now, you are in a season of deep pain. And God may just say, I'm doing something in you because one day I'm going to do more through you. Verse 1, you know, Elijah is described just as Elijah the Tishbite. He was known by where he's from. And then 23 verses later, as this chapter's end, he's not known for where he's from, but instead by whom he's from. Verse 24, the end of the story, the woman of God, he just raised her son. And uh, she says to Elijah, wow, now I know you are what? You are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. God may allow us to go through the Kareth Ravine so one day someone may look at you and say, now I know. I see it. I see it. Wow. You are a woman of God. You are a man of God. I see it now. You are a child of God. I get it. The shaping of a man or a woman of God often means that they go through the Kareth Ravine, so God can do something in them before he does something great through them. Some of you, by God's grace, can even say, I think with total authenticity, not as some christian easy type thing, that you are actually thankful that God has brought you through some hurt and some brokenness and uncertainty because it forced you to lean on the supernatural provision, the total dependence, the unconditional 
obedience. You know, the kind of obedience that says, if creation still obeys you, so will I. If, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in, in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. And if the wind goes where you send it, so will I. spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. God, would you do a, a supernatural work in all of us, God, especially those today who are hurting. They're experiencing isolation, their fear, cabin fever. So God, we call out to you. We, we would say to the one who's in the ravine right now, and it's, and it's awful, and to the one who would say, you know, the things I used to trust in, um, they're not the things that uh, I've got anymore. I've got nowhere else to go but to you, God. And some of you who would say that the brook has dried up and I, I can't stay where I was comfortable. And now I've got to go somewhere new. God, I pray for those in the, in the ravine where you seem to be cutting off those things that we used to trust in and you're humbling us and you're breaking us and it's painful. But God, we trust you that trials and tribulations, actually they sanctify us, they conform us closer to the image of your son Jesus. God, give us perseverance to endure any tests, any trials, and God, I, I pray that the fire would not burn us, but would actually instead burn away all the impurities in our lives so that we'd be just more like you. God, for those who need you today, be what they need. I pray that you would, you would be enough comfort for today. You'd be enough peace for today. Uh, be enough strength for today. I thank you, God, that... You provide our daily bread. You provide what, what we need today. And God, when the brook dries up, I pray that we would be faithful to hear your voice when you take away what made us comfortable um, to encourage us to go to a new place. May we be obedient to follow. And God, I, I thank you that in the obedience will we'll see you at work, supernaturally even. Even as, as the song says, the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, you held back the waters for my release. You're the God who fights for me. You're the Lord of every victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's close with this. I won't forget the wonder of how you brought 
You found me, you freed me, held back the waters from my release. Oh, yeah. 